I want to invite you to turn your Bible open to John chapter 4. We're going to look at a passage at the very end of that. And as you do, I want to remind you of a couple of things. If you haven't been around or if you have, and sometimes in the middle of church, you're just trying to get it in your brain, you're still soaking into it, the truth. Um, the last couple of weeks, we've been in a series called Telling Your Story. It's actually telling his story, God's story of work in your life and through the ages to draw people to himself. And as we did, the first week we talked about how we communicate that, just some ABCs, right, as we get simple with people and help them take the first baby steps of following Christ. And the ABCs, we kind of frame this way, that people have to come to a place where they admit their sin, that every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we have to come to a place of acknowledging that before God. And we have to come to that next step where we actually trust Him, that He has the answer. We believe in Him. And the third, the C, is that we confess it. We confess that we need Him confess our sin before him, and we follow him. Right? So that's the ABCs. And last week we talked about kind of the big picture fundamentals underneath that, some of the key things. We gave you another acrostic. It was acrostic leap. I hope you remember this. Um, and, the, and the L in that acrostic, does anybody remember what that might be? Learn mercy, right? Yeah, so it is about learning mercy, that that kind of underlies how, why God did what he did on the cross for you and I, and the expression of us gospel living, that is living out the mission, is to learn mercy, be people of mercy. And then the second fundamental underneath there was E, that is to engage people with the word, that there's power when I have people come to to the Lord and understand the, the message just through reading scripture. And me interacting with them. And the A part of that leap was to ask. Ask the faith question of people. Get When you're in conversation with people, just ask them to to place their faith in Christ or what's keeping them from doing that. And we're going to see that in a passage here about a person who took a step. And then the P was to pray, right? To pray for people to go into the harvest and be like with you like that guy who um, was lowered down with his friends who came to Jesus because he had friends carrying them there. This morning, we're going to look at another passage from the gospel, another person coming into interaction with the Lord, and it starts in verse 46. I'm going to read the text, and I just want you to think about the power of what's happening and how Jesus engages this person and what happens as a result. So he, that is Jesus, came again to Canaan in Galilee, where he made the water wine. That was the first miracle that Jesus did in his public ministry. It happened in Canaan, and he went back, so he's going back to the city. And at Capernaum, that's about 20 miles away, there was an official whose son was ill. That word official was like a king's man. He was connected to the king or Herod's household. And his son, or his little boy, the phrase says, was ill. And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea, that's the southern area, to Galilee in the north, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, it sounds like a pretty harsh statement that Jesus does make, right? Here's this grieving, desperate father who comes 
to Jesus. And we don't know why. Maybe he just had the startings of faith. He understood a little bit of who Jesus was. So he comes to Jesus and he's seeking healing that Jesus would come with him and heal his son because he's desperate this way. And Jesus' response is what? It, it sounds a little hard. Unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, you won't catch this in the English, but in the original language, it's plural. He's speaking to the crowd, not specifically to this official. Unless you guys around here see a bunch of miracles, you're not going to believe. So actually the story is about faith, about what it takes for a person to take that leap, to take a step and give their life to the Lord. The official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. I'm not going to get into an argument with you about semantics, man. I just, I just need you to come and save my little boy. And Jesus said, go. Your son will live. Okay, that's a tough place, right? He's actually asking a bigger question of this man, calling out something. He's not calling out faith in whether Jesus can actually touch him and heal him. He's asking a deeper faith question. Do you believe in who I am? Will you fully trust me on this? With the life of your own dear son. Parents, this is a hard one, isn't it? Many of you have had um, experiences with your kids where you're wondering, can I really trust God with my kids? Actually, it should be the opposite. God trusted you with your kids, right? (laughs) But you have that fear, that trepidation, right? You're struggling with it, and that's the point. It's a faith question. Do you believe in who I am, that I am the Messiah? So we just have this brief explanation of what happens in a moment. The man believed. Believed the word that Jesus spoke to him. And he went on his way. And I'm sure as he's doing that, he still has all these questions, right? Still wrestling. Because when we take that first step of faith in Jesus, we still have a lot of questions and we're wondering and still wrestling with things. Even people who have walked with him for a long time have those questions stir up in them. And he's walking on his way, wondering what's going to happen, hoping that Jesus is who he says he was. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when it began to get better, because he wanted to know specifically. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he believed. And all his oikos, or all his household, all the, the people around him, it's the phrase when we first started out in the beginning of the year that's we talked about. It's the people, the 8 to 15 people that God has placed us next to to influence for the cause of Christ. So this man trusts Jesus. It's a fledgling trust. He steps into it. He trusts him. He believes. He puts his faith in Jesus. And then he experiences firsthand the work of God in healing his son. And his whole household, all the oikos around him, all the people around him, his family and others, they trust him. They trust in Jesus too. 
There's actually an interesting side note on this guy's life. I don't know if you might be aware of this. Acts 13 describes a spiritual, a great spiritual awakening that was happening in the city of Antioch. And there in Acts 13, it describes the guys who were being used by God to lead the charge in this spiritual awakening. And it's a culturally and ethnically diverse group that's leading the charge at the beginning of the church. And we've talked about that, how that's reflected in Scripture throughout the book of Acts. But one of the guys looks like it's this guy who came to faith, Manan, who was in the household or he was, he was as one of the royal officials and he was connected to Herod in Acts 13. We don't know for sure if it is, but apparently this guy had already been active in leading people to faith. So it makes sense that he was quite well this guy in Acts 13. It's an interesting story how this guy continued on in his faith. So here's the end of the story, Acts 14. So all his household believes. And this was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. And it was really a story of faith where a person comes to faith and then he influences all his group. We've been talking about this because that's God's mission for us, to make disciples, people who follow Jesus, trust in him and follow him, of the people that are in our household, our circle of influence. But that's not always easy, is it? It's sometimes really a great challenge. And I thought this morning it would be really helpful if you hear the story of other people, not just a pastor, you know, because sometimes you look at me and you're like, ah, eh, well, yeah, okay, that might be your story, but what about real people? I get it. I understand. I'm not offended. Um, so I thought I'd ask and invite some real people, friends of mine, and I want to ask you to come on up, you guys, if you would. So there's a group of them that are going to come up. And uh, Pat, help me. Is it this one right here that you want me to use? It's this one that you want me to use. No, both of them. Fantastic. Okay. So go ahead and grab a seat, you guys, wherever you'd like to sit, and I'll sit in the open chair. I'll put this one up. Okay, great. And uh, Tommy, why don't we begin with you? Why don't you introduce yourself? I'm going to give this to you, Jeremy. And um, if you would, just tell us uh, just a little bit about yourself before we get going, so. teacher's proud, you know. Great. Um, my name's Tommy. I'm currently attending Fuller Theological Seminary over in Menlo Park. And uh, my wife and I, Rachel, have been here for about a year. We moved here from Florida. So we're enjoying not having any humidity. If you've been to Florida, you know what that's about. <laughs> so, yeah. Great. Thanks, Tommy. To pass it there. Great. Hey, good morning. My name is Miriam. We've been attending Bridges for about close to two years now. My husband, Garrett, and I relocated to the Bay Area about two years ago. Um, that's how we got here. Um, I work at Facebook, so I'm in tech. Um, I guess that's it. Thanks, Miriam. Here, you can just hold on to that, Miriam, and we'll use this mic for the two of you guys. Okay. Um, hi, I'm Jeremy. I've been attending Bridges since uh, kindergarten. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I go to James Logan High School, and I'm a senior. Great. Thanks, Jeremy. Hi, uh, my name is Judith Vargas Teng. <laughs> I'm from Mexico. Uh, I have been here for three years since I got married here at Bridges. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So now I'm going to just stay with you, Hudit, 
And um, I want you to tell us a little bit about what your 8 to 15 or your oikos looks like. What is that for you? Because everybody has a different kind of group around them. So I'm going to start with you, Hudit, okay? Um, my friends from church, um, my friends from the playgroup, uh, now I have two daughters, so most of the time I spend time with the moms from the other kids. And friends from ESL. Um, I am ten, I'm taking classes from ESL, so uh, it's kind of a good time to spend time with them. Great. Thanks. Whoever like, go ahead. You're... So the people that I spend most time with, honestly, are my coworkers, because work is where I spend most of my time during the week. <laughs> um, and as I mentioned, I'm in tech, um, and I work with a lot of highly educated and just really, really smart people. Um, they're mostly male. I know this is somewhat of a stereotype, but it's true. <laughs> um, they're pretty, I want to say, young between like 20 and 45-ish, maybe. Um, and just really uh, ambitious and really independent people is my feeling. Mm. Great. Either one, whoever wants to. Go ahead, Jeremy. Um, my oikos uh, consists of a few friends from high school. Um, I'm in the marching band, so a few friends from there, and also from the Christian club at my school. And then, of course, that includes family and uh, people at Bridges and people at Powerhouse. Great. Yeah, for me, um, it would be close friends that I still maintain relationships with uh, from high school and college, also a few professors um, Mm -hmm. from university that I'm still in contact with, and then, of course, family as well. Great. So we've talked a little bit about the challenge of expressing our faith because it's not always easy, isn't it? You walk into conversations that you don't expect or situations you don't expect and you've got your own personal insecurities and struggle to communicate clearly. And I thought it'd be really helpful for us just to talk a little bit about that, about what your currently, what your greatest challenges are in expressing your faith. So who would like to go? Sure, Tommy. Great. Thanks. Um, I'd say for me, one of the main things is I really don't want to come across as judgmental or preachy, uh, coming from a family of preachers. Uh, (laughs) I can see how that doesn't always go over so well, and um, I've always been very sensitive to that, especially going to a state university. Um, You know, when you're around very educated people, like Miriam was saying, a lot of times they already have very strong opinions. They've formed, you know, what they think uh, faith or religion looks like. and the reality is a lot of them have had bad experiences. So some of them maybe have grown up in church or were exposed to church at some point. Um, and, of course, there's always the possibility that people have misrepresented Christ. I know for mm-hmm. me, uh, I was teaching uh, high school in Oakland last year. I had one particular student who had had a very bad experience uh, with Christians. His family were constantly trying to push church on him, and he was very vocal about it. So I had to be especially sensitive to that. Um, with maybe how I talked about my faith or how I came across him because I knew he was kind of already, how shall we say, a little uh, disturbed with how, uh, how Christians can sometimes share their faith. Mm-hmm. Go for it, Jeremy. Yeah. Um, so for me, uh, one of the biggest challenges I have is just bringing up the gospel. And a lot of times the people I associate with, like teenagers, we don't really talk about anything meaningful. So it's about like, football or (laughs) grades or teachers and it's hard to just 
bring up the gospel because they don't really talk about like ideology and their opinions. So um, yeah, that's one of the biggest challenges I have. I guess the biggest challenge for me is that a lot of my coworkers have a scientific background, computer science or math or really anything like that. They know a lot and they have strong opinions and it's hard to, um, it's hard to confess faith a lot of them, if anything, just want to get into a discussion, and I'm not one to discuss faith. I'm one to, like, testify faith and live it out and have people see mm-hmm. in the way that I act or that I live my life what it means to be a believer. Um, but I'm not one to discuss faith with someone who just wants to, like, throw out arguments. Um, so that's a big challenge for me. Mm-hmm. And then also, in theory or on the surface, we're all super tolerant, and we permit any faiths or kinds of religion but then when it comes to actually talking about what you believe in it's not a popular popular thing to talk about um Mm. so that's a second challenge and then also uh, i work at a company where we're being very well taken care of and then just the fact that there's really nothing really that you could need how how i like how am i going to make people understand that they need god if they have everything they might possibly need um so that's the three challenges that i face Mm. For me, um, I use uh, learn English uh, three years ago, so my big challenge is uh, can communicate what I want to say to the people because it's hard. Sometimes I want to say something and I forget the verbs. I I don't know how to explain. I'm trying to figure out and take me a long time for can share what I want to say. And other is the memorize the Bible. I know the Bible in Spanish, but when I want to share some verse from the Bible, it's uh, some really hard. And mm. a lot of my friends um, from ESL, they are from different countries, so we are almost in the same page with little vocabulary. It's hard to understand each other. It's hard to explain each other. <laughs> but it's easy because, in, in one way, because we don't, I don't speak well, they don't speak, they speak a little better than me, but they understand me, I try to understand, so it's a kind of funny, but still I can see how God's working that, because uh, people from different countries, they want to learn about what's going on in the United States, about the Christian, about the different religions, so mm-hmm. uh, it's easy for me to talk with them, but try to communicate what I want to say is really hard for me. Mm-hmm. I just really appreciate your honesty. You know, it is a challenge, and a lot of those things are really fundamental struggles for all of us, right, to be able to figure out how to effectively communicate in a way that's not judgmental, like you said, Tommy, in a way that makes logical sense and is compelling for people who are wired, especially in our culture, who are wired academically and a lot of them with science backgrounds or tech backgrounds. And so the way that I contextualize my communication of the gospel matters. It's really significant and important. I don't want to go off on one side and try to be syncretistic, try to include a bunch of other faiths because that's very confusing. And it's not gospel-centric. It's not biblical, right? And at the same time, I, I want to make sure that I'm communicating the truth of God's word in a way that really is relevant for them, that makes sense. 
And, you know, Houdit, I, I really appreciated what you said about the challenge of language because that, that really speaks to a lot of us, right? A, a lot of us are not first, you know, language English speakers here in our neighborhoods. And even those of us that are, we might be speaking so fast that it doesn't help, you know, because we're not being clear with the way that we communicate. And that, that language clarity is really challenging. So I, I just appreciate that. And Jeremy, it just... You know what? It's not just high school, right, where people are talking about things that really don't matter, right? The majority of our conversations, for most of us, are about those things that aren't eternal. So when I step into that conversation about eternal things, it's uncomfortable immediately for people because, you know, it's easy to talk about how bad the 49ers are going to be this year, but <laughs> it's, it's more... Hey, I was going to give a little, a lot of times we dog on the Raiders here, and I, I just want to help you guys who are Raider fans, right? Um, it's easy to talk about that, but much more difficult when we're actually talking about the things that are, like, of their soul, and things that are of the gospel, when we start talking about people's brokenness, and everyone's hiding their brokenness. We're talking about people actually violating the commands of God who created them. And no one wants to acknowledge that. And the gospel is hard at that point. And yet it's so freeing, right? It's such good, life-giving news that we want to have those communication. And we, we have hope that God could use even us, right? Even our failed attempts or our stuttering. And God is marvelous at the way he uses us and our and our limitations. And of course, Scripture speaks to that, that it's in our weaknesses that God is glorified and God moves in majestic ways and in almost stunning ways to bring people to himself through our weakness. And I just wanted to, to ask for you guys, okay, I know that you love the Lord and I know that you want to see your friends and your oikos come to faith in Christ and experience new life. Why do you even have hope in that? Why do you, you know, with all the barriers and obstacles that are there, why do you have hope? So anybody can join in. Yeah, I can go. Um, so for me, one of the biggest things that gives me hope whenever I get discouraged or whenever I feel like God isn't even using me, especially at work, I just have to I remind myself of our own story and the story of how we got here because this is definitely not something that my husband or I came up with. Um, I never, we never planned to moving to the United States and now we're here and we've been here for almost two years already. And just reminding myself of our story and how we feel God led us here is just a big encouragement for myself and makes me believe that um, if he works in mighty and wondrous ways in our lives, he can do that in anyone else's lives as well. Um, so just seeing God at work in my life, um, yeah, makes me hopeful for my coworkers too. And then just smaller um, things like being in a coworker's car because we're headed to a dinner, and then we start talking, and then all of a sudden I find out he's a believer, and I didn't know, and he's been on my team for almost a year. I'm like, God, this is crazy. There's another child of yours here on my team. Um, mm -hmm. These are the moments that are really, really encouraging and that I see that God is at work um, and that gives me hope. Mm. Thanks, man. Um, for me, 
um, lots of times I lose hope when uh, you just look out there and like there's so many people that aren't saved. But uh, lots of times when I'm in that situation, God reminds me and gives me hope. For example, um, over the summer, there was a kid in marching band who was going through really tough times. And I was like, hey, you want to come hang out in Powerhouse? And I never would have expected like a year ago that he would be coming to Powerhouse every Wednesday night and having a lot of fun and always texting me, hey, can we go to Powerhouse this Wednesday? (laughs) So situations like these, scenarios like these, I feel like God's telling me, don't lose hope that, you know, any, he can do anything. And I can see it with my own eyes. He can do anything. Mm. Yeah, um, I'd say one of the hopes I have is that they'll just, like, see the love that I have for them. So the way I treat people. Um, So that's always been important to me, you know, trying to be a loyal friend, trying to to be there for people. Um, And in that, also to be real, too, that kind of ties into one of the previous questions, um, not wanting to be self-righteous. So these people know my struggles. They know the things I've gone through and um, that I'm not some perfect little Christian person. Mm -hmm. So, um, but along with that, I I hope that they'll see the the love of Christ in me as well. And uh, sometimes I think it takes a certain challenge or a situation for people to become desperate enough to really seek God out, to seek Christ. And I think, um, kind of like what Miriam was saying, we are very comfortable here. It's easy to be, you know, affluent, not to feel like you need anything else when all your material needs are met. And sometimes I think it maybe takes something like a health challenge or something financial for you to realize that you're not in control of your life. So, yeah. I, I can see that God is by my side always. Uh, the life is not easy, but uh, it's by my side. When, when I be a mom, I, my life com- completely changed. I'm not the same person, and I am stressed all the time. So <laughs> my friends, that is like, a, how can you go out with your babies? How you cannot be stressed? How you can... And I am stressed, but I'm trusting God, and I want to share that with my friends, that if God is by my side, and he take care of my kids and take care of my family, he's going to do that the same for them family. So uh, I want that they, they can see this part of God, and they can trust in God, and be that, that he's going to be by, uh, by my side, and if if he's with me, of course, he's with them. So, mm-hmm. uh, like like a mom, um, uh, a new mom, uh, I have a lot of friends that they are in the same page as me. So, it's it's a hope for them that see on me that I am relaxed, but inside I, I am so stressed. <laughs> but uh, I can trust in God. So, they see, okay, uh, you can do that the same. And mm. I'm trying to to share this part of, of me that I have hope in God that he's going to to take care of my family and take care of me and take care of my uh, relatives. So uh, God is going to do that for them too. Mm. Thanks. I um, The first time... I- I ever shared my faith, it was, I didn't expect it. I was in third grade. I had invited my friend Mark to come to church because my parents pressured me to do that. And uh, 
so I, I brought Mark to church, and I can still distinctly remember my Sunday school teacher, Mrs. Morgan, was describing the gospel, and she said, does anybody want to um, trust in Christ? And my friend Mark is sitting next to me, and he raises his hand. And I had prayed for Mark, and I thought, oh, this is great. So um, at the end of Sunday school, Mrs. Morgan had Mark and me come up, and she and I looked at her because she's the trained professional, right? The Sunday school teacher. She's just a volunteer. And she said, okay, Ron, go ahead. <laughs> and, and I was a third grader. I was stammering, and I, I, was, I felt the pressure of the moment. You know, I thought, oh, no, what if, you know, this is eternal, and what if I really blow it and don't say the right thing? And, and I, had, I was sweating. I was just, it was so intimidating, you know, and and this is my friend Mark, and he's looking at me like, okay, well, I'm waiting. Come on, you know? And, um, and I can remember, you know, praying with my friend Mark and, and uh, amazed that somehow God did it. Right? Some, somehow God used this stumbling third-grade kid to communicate truth. Mrs. Morgan helped me. You know, she stepped in a couple times and read scripture to him, made sure that he got it and understood it, and he prayed. And I can remember another scene this is years later, and God had called me in a ministry, and I was at a winter camp with these kids, and the speaker gave this really great descriptive message of the gospel and invited kids to respond. And this junior high girl, Cheryl, had invited a bunch of her friends to camp, and Six of them, all six of them stayed back to receive Christ. And I don't know where her counselor was. She, I was looking around the room. I was in the back, and I was looking around. And I don't know. Her counselor took off somewhere. She's with some other kids, I think. And so I see this desperate look in Cheryl's face, and I remember myself as a third grader. So I went over to her, and she said, help. I, you know, you need to do this. And I'm like, I remember Mrs. Morgan, right? And I thought, no, Cheryl, you can do this. And... Um, and Cheryl led her friends. I still remember this vividly. She led her friends to faith in Christ in that moment. And, you know, she's stammering and scared, and her kids, her friends are around the circle. And at the end of it, she just looks up to me with tears in her eyes, you know, and just gratitude of what God had done, not what I had done. Um, there are a lot of stories we could all tell about the miraculous work of God bringing people to faith and using vessels like us. This story in Mark chapter 4, I think, was one of them where this guy just came with desperation because of his son, and he has his conversations unexpected with Jesus, and instead of actually discovering in the moment healing for his son or talking Jesus into it, he places his faith in Jesus, and then he recognizes that he is who he said he was. And then he affects his whole household. And then later on, leads a, a spiritual awakening. And this is how God operates with us. He loves to use us if we'll just be faithful to step into the moment. And our hope is not in ourselves it's in the efficacy of Christ. It's in the power and the efficiency of what Christ has done on the cross for us.
and through the resurrection, demonstrating that he can give us new life. And all we have to do is be faithful to the moment and to the people that God has placed in our life. I want to pray for you guys that this week God enables you to be faithful to that task. And could you just thank them first before I do that? And I want to, I'm going to pray for us, right, that God would lead us in our weakness to step in and to be faithful to communicate the gospel. Father, how can we possibly thank you enough for giving us your beloved only son to come and live in such a humble way and to demonstrate who he was and to go to a cross that he would sacrifice his own life so that we might have life. And how can we possibly thank you enough for the new life you've given us and how you faithfully demonstrate that to us? And Father, how can we possibly tell our friends, the people in our 8 to 15, unless you show up? I'm reminded, Lord, that when you gave that great commission, you reminded your disciples that you would be present even to the end of the age, that your presence is with us. And that we did this not with our own capacity or authority, but we do it in your authority. So I pray for these, my friends, this week, they would be faithful to all that you want them to do and to say, to live out the gospel in front of their friends in their 8 to 15. And you would do that with all of us, Lord, that you would move us to follow you with whole hearts and to love our 8 through 15 to new life in Jesus. And we pray these things for the glory of Christ and through his power and his name. And all God's people said, amen. Thanks, you guys. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. For more information on Bridges Community Church, please check out our website at www.bridgescc.org.